Morning Mission View. Fantastic. Hey, if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, go with me to Mark chapter 4. The year was 1990. Susan was 18. She had a friend named Eric who she regularly went to things with, played volleyball with. They were friend-zoned, all right? It's not a good place to be if you're single. You spend so much time with somebody, they become your, like your sibling rather than a potential significant other. So if you're single here, don't get friend-zoned. Like, you want to be close enough to that person that you can ask them out, but don't get so close to that person that it becomes awkward to ask them out. And that's how Eric and Susan were. And one day, as Susan and friend-zoned Eric were playing volleyball, as they regularly did, Eric brought his brother, who happened to be a couple years older. Susan was 18, Eric's brother was 21 years old. And immediately upon seeing him, Susan thought he was a creeper. She just thought he was creepy, creepy dude. I don't know, those are Susan's thoughts, not mine. That is until they played volleyball. And then as they played volleyball and the sweat would glisten from his brow, and he had one of those sweat bands, you know, around each wrist and one upon his head, and she just saw the glow as the sweat would begin to glisten and she saw the man as he played volleyball just seemingly fly through the air as he would spike the ball down on other people. And it was there in her heart that love was born. She fell in love immediately with this amazing athlete, this hunk of a man. She would find out later that in 1989, the year previously, the Arizona State Slam Dunk Championship was won by this man. Yes, this is the 25th commemorative anniversary of the Arizona Slam Dunk Championship being won by this man. And this wasn't held just in some park. Oh, no, no, friends. This was held on midcourt at halftime of the Phoenix Suns game. Yes, the NBA Phoenix Suns. And he went out and he flew through the air and he was crowned victorious. And not only that, but this man possessed the basketball skills that he had a private audience on occasion to play against Michael Jordan. True story. He played one-on-one, well, pickup game. He guarded Michael Jordan. Ladies and gentlemen, brought to us because of Google being here, uprooting us, putting us in the gym. They have flown to us today, the Arizona State Slam dunk champion from 1989 on this, the 25th anniversary. Would you please give it up for the one and the only Mr. Thad Eamon? We all know the athletes always get the women. And this conclusion is obvious to everyone especially who's not athletic. And so one night in college, we, a bunch of us were sitting around our dorm room and we're like, yeah, we don't possess the athletic skills, so we've gotta, we gotta work on our game. And, and one of the guys who, who lived in the room next to me, he's like, guys, I've got the perfect plan. I've got the perfect plan. And we're like, what? And he said, I'm just gonna ask out every girl on campus. <laughs> like, what? 
said, I'm just going to ask out every girl on campus. And to make sure I don't ask her out more than once, I'm just going to keep like a running chart. And so we had this stalker net. This was before Facebook, all right? I'm old. So we had this stalker net at Cedarville University where I went. And he would literally ask a girl out, print her profile off, hang it on, her wall, hang it on his wall so that he knew he wouldn't ask her out twice. It's a good thing he was never suspected of a crime because he looked like a serious stalker. But his plan was just to ask out everybody because... He said it only took one to say yes. And so that was his approach. He's not married to this day. He wasn't as successful as obviously the 1989 Arizona slam dunk winner. But his approach was just going to be, I'm just going to ask everybody out. I'm just going to make myself available because all it takes is one. This morning in Mark chapter 4, what we're going to see is Jesus talking to a crowd. And Jesus' strategy is very interesting. This is called the parable of the sower. Check this out, Mark chapter 4, beginning verse 1. Again he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus is out in a boat, he's got a giant crowd following along, and he's telling them a story. Now understand, this is an agrarian society, everybody's very familiar with farming, everybody's very familiar with the principles of living off the land. This is his context, this is the crowd that Jesus is speaking to, and he said, and he knowingly that it's an agrarian society, he utilizes a story based upon farming. And he says, so there's a sower, and he sows seed. What the sower does is consistent. He just throws out a seed. The sower sows seed. But what we see here is the difficulty that the sower is about to encounter. Not because of the sower's methods, not because of anything the sower does, but because of where the seed lands. The sower's job is to sow the seed. That's the job of the sower. And so he does. But there are four different reactions or responses which happen from the sower planting the seed. But the sower just keeps sowing. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, 
and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Let me read that again. They may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. This is difficult. This is troubling because this is Jesus speaking. And Jesus says, I speak in parables. I'm confusing so that a certain segment doesn't repent. So that a certain segment doesn't understand. Because if they understood, they would turn, they would be forgiven, they would come to me. So we have two options here. We have two options of how we're going to deal with this. Because as with anything in Scripture, we need to take it in light of the whole counsel of God's Word. Otherwise, we can be like one of those crazy people or a terrorist or a cult, you know. All three are great at taking just a portion of a verse and just saying, well, here it is. And if anybody's familiar with the Bible, they can take just a portion of it and make it say whatever they want it to to fit their circumstances. So we really have to reconcile this in light of all of God's Word. But when we do that, still, we're left with one of two conclusions that we have to draw here from from Mark 4.12. They may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now don't forget the context of this that we saw last week in Mark chapter 3. Jesus has just talked about the unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin is, is debated by a lot of people. Here's my take on the unforgivable sin that when somebody has been exposed to the works of God and they make a conscious choice to liken Christ, who is God's son, the means of our salvation, who, who is fully God, fully man, came, lived a perfect life, died upon the cross for my sin and for your sin, rose three days later. When somebody's been exposed to the truth of the gospel, when they have seen the works of Jesus, when they've been exposed to him, and they make a choice to look at Christ and say, nah, he's not God, he's Satan. That's the unforgivable sin. In my mind. Now, other people disagree with me, but that's so that out of that lens, we then get to verse 12, the lens of my understanding. They may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And so we're left here with the question Is this pure anger, wrath, judgment from God? And if it is, understand what's brought it about. The context of people who have seen the work of Christ and they say he's satanic. Is this just wrath and judgment from God brought about justly so on people who've been exposed to the truth and not only reject it, but liken it to the adversary of God? Is this strictly judgment? Or in a way, is this statement, which seems so incredibly harsh, that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven, in a way is in, within this statement a wonderful act of God's mercy upon those who have rejected them, so that he would bring about confusion, so that on their day of reckoning, on their judgment day, when they stand before God, they will be culpable, yes, for their rejection of God, but culpable less. 
Because the more you're exposed to, the greater culpability of judgment. Hebrews 10 and Romans 2 extend that thought process. I hope it's the second. But I don't know. And if it's the first, God is just. They may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. But to his followers has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. And so he explains to his disciples, starting in verse 13, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. That's the job of the sower. The sower's job is to sow. It's to sow. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So we see spiritual warfare here. We see a sower, and he throws some seed out, and all of a sudden the birds of the air, they come, and, and they take it, and, and they fly off, and these are the, or, no, these are the ones along the path, and, and, and it, it lands there, and the seed is on the path, and the birds come, and they take it, and the seed is given no opportunity to, to be put in the ground. It's given no opportunity to grow. This might be at work in somebody you know. It might be at work in you. It might be at work in somebody you work with, somebody you're neighbor to, somebody in your family. The sower is you, Christ's follower. It's you. The job that you have is to communicate the grace that God's given us. The, the job that you have is to tell people the hope that you have as a result of a relationship with Jesus. That's your job. I know we've talked a lot about this as we've gone through the book of Mark. And, and here's why this is so important, because we're God's advertising strategy. He calls on us to live lives that are holy, that are pure. And he calls us to just let people know the difference that Jesus has made in our lives. That is evangelism. That is what God's called us to do. Just tell people what God's done for you. Just tell people the hope that you have as a result of a relationship with Jesus. Just sow the seed. Just sow it. That is what God has called each and every one of us to do. But if you're anything like me, I know sometimes I get hung up. Because I sow it and then I'm like, ah, but it, it's not working. I haven't seen any results lately. This, this isn't, no. God says so. 
we have this adversary, this very real enemy, and, and he comes along sometimes when we tell people the hope that we have. We tell people what God's done for us. And there's this very real battle that wages between the, the light that we have of Christ alive within us and, and the evil one, Satan, our adversary, who's, whose desire is that none would turn, that all would, that all would perish, that he would come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And sometimes... When we tell people our story, sometimes when we share with people what Jesus has done for us, sometimes when we put ourselves out there, we don't see the results we want to see. Because Satan's at work. There's a very real adversary. But don't stop. Don't stop sowing. Keep going. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And this is the person that has the misunderstanding that faith will make their life easy. That if you just follow Jesus, you'll experience con continual and constant blessing. That all of your financial needs will be met and taken care of. That you'll never get sick. And if you do get sick, or if all your financial needs aren't taken care of, it's just a lack of faith on your part. And if only you had more faith, then things would be okay. This is incredibly dangerous. Because this understanding is not fundamental to the path and to the road that Jesus has called us to walk. The path that Jesus has called us to walk is one of hardship. Jesus told his followers, take heart. I promise you this. You will face trouble in this world. And so if you're here, and if your faith is built on some understanding that your life will be easy, if you're here and your faith is built upon some understanding that God will give you all that you've ever wanted, if you're here and your faith is built on some understanding that God is going to bless you financially and you'll have more than enough and you'll never want or need for anything, I'm telling you, you're living a very dangerous lifestyle and your faith is not grounded and is not rooted in the Messiah of the New Testament don't follow Jesus for the temporal blessings and benefits you may believe will come your way because if you follow Jesus for the temporal blessings and benefits that will come your way what will happen is those will eventually cease there will eventually be hardship and when there's hardship you will turn away and what we see is that your faith was not rooted upon Christ your faith was rooted upon you. And the very message of the gospel is this, that you would give up your life to follow Jesus. That's the very message.
That when you make a decision to follow Christ, it ceases being about you. And it's all about His glory. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. These are those who are blinded of the eternal by the temporal. It's all about the here. It's all about the now. There's no, there's no vision beyond themselves. There's no vision for anything greater. They hear Unlike the first group, they don't respond. They hear, but are just too content, are too drawn in, are too in love with that which they see. This is like the college student who, when they move in on the weekend of college, they go and they're hit up by five credit card companies as soon as they walk in the doors, knowing that most of these students have no jobs, have no way of paying back the bills. And so immediately upon starting your education, not only will you be in debt to the federal government, you'll now be in debt to, to credit card companies because they know they've got you and they'll immediately give you a card that will welcome you to encounter and experience the pleasures you want to see here and now it's how we're all wired to a certain to a certain level we see something and we want it we want it now and this is that group of people not i'm not saying that anybody who's ever opened up a credit card when they first walked into college fits in this group but this is the mindset of this group of people their concern is just on the world but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And this is what makes it all worth it. This is an incredible return. Because some of the seed that is thrown yields a return. 30, 60, 100-fold. So what does this mean for us? As we read these words of Jesus, what, what are we to do with this? What, what do we have to do? Well, first, is we have to keep sowing seed. We have to keep sowing seed. And in order to do that, we might need to give up on some people. We might need to give up on some people. 
Now, I, I know what you might be thinking when we say that. You're like, well, Brian, you're wired kind of like a jerk, and so you can easily give up on some people. But here's what I've seen. I've seen the Christian who's, who's just done everything they can, and they've sown the seed. And you know what happens? They keep going back to the path with the birds. They keep going back to the rocky soil. They keep going back where there's lots of thorns. And rather than just continue, continually sow seed, rather than just continue, continue to reach people, they get caught up in one individual. They get caught up in one cause. They get caught up in one person that they care very deeply about, and rightfully so, but they just keep going back and going back and going back, and the results are never different. And all of a sudden, rather than keep sowing, all their time, all their energy, all their resources are plugged in on one person or one group of people. The results never change. Their heart is in the right place, but their methods are not. might be time to give up on some people. Because he keeps throwing seed in the same place. And there's no harvest. Don't let those people Take all your time. Take all your energy. Take all your resources. Be wise. Be discerning. Be loving. I'm not saying quit loving that person. Be loving. Don't waste your time. You might need to give up. find where the soil's better. And this is what's great. This is what's great. One day when we stand before God and we give an account, none of us will have to answer the question, who did we convince to become a Christ follower? None of us will have to answer that question. The question we will have to answer, the question we will be held accountable for when we stand before the Almighty one day as Christ followers will be this. Were we constant? Were we constant about sowing the seed? Were we constant about sharing the hope? That's our part. The rest is on God. Our responsibility is to sow the seed. The rest is on God. Listen, 
If you're a Christ follower, your life should be so radically different. It should be so radically improved because we're not caught up in the temporal. We're not caught up in the day-to-day in the way those who don't have Christ and don't have hope are. We have something greater. We have something greater to look forward to. We have a hope that people don't understand. Our lives should be just, just so much better, so much more fulfilling, so much greater. The people should look at you and say, I want to be you. I want what you have. And our job is just to tell people what we have. What we have is the hope of Christ. What we have is what God has done in us and through us. Even in spite of us. Don't put so much pressure on yourself that you feel like you need to convert somebody. Conversion is not your responsibility because you can't convert anybody. You can't make anybody act a certain way. I wish you could, but you can't. Stop putting yourself under that much pressure. That you've got to say the perfect thing. You've got to find the perfect opportunity. You know the perfect opportunity? Right now, today, wherever your situation, just keep sowing seed. I noticed the sower wasn't like, oh, well, here's a path. I'll quit throwing was like, ah, there's some rocky soil. Better not throw over there. Oh, there's some weeds. I'm good. No. He just kept sowing. Jesus could have used any number that he wanted to. This is his story. He could have made, he could have made up whatever, whatever ratio he wanted to. And yet I find it incredible that he gives us four results of the seed being thrown. And only one out of the four is what the sower would long for. A 25% success rate of the sower sowing seed in the story Jesus made up. 25% success. It's not our job. More people than not, when you share with them the hope that Christ is, the hope that you have in Christ and what Jesus has done for you, will not listen to you. They will not agree. They will not come to the conclusion that I need this too. Don't let that stop you. greatest professional basketball player of all time with respect to the man who will wear number 23 on Thursday night once again for the Cleveland Cavs is not LeBron James, but is Michael Jordan. Listen to Michael Jordan's words. I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. Your job, my job, is just to sow seed. It's not to convince anybody of anything. just to sow seed. And when we do, there will be people who listen and disagree. There will be people who won't even listen. 
There will be some, Lord willing, through God's grace, where that fertile soil. So our job and our responsibility is to just keep letting know what Jesus has done for us and what he accomplished for their behalf as well. And the rest is up to God. God, I pray that we would be free to understand what you really want from us. God, I pray that we wouldn't get caught up in who listens or who doesn't. God, I, I pray that you would even reveal to us if there's somebody we just need to move on from. I pray that in every circumstance, in every situation, we'd be obedient. And we'd just be honest with people about the hope that we have in you. God, that we're not dependent upon the here and now. We're not dependent upon the ease of life. We're not, we're not focused solely on, on that. God, I, I pray that Mission View would just be an army of people who would share their stories. And God, I pray that you would allow us to see the harvest. I pray we'd see 30, 60, 100 fold. And Lord, we know that you're the one who makes it grow. And so we don't want any credit. We don't, we don't want to take the credit as something we've done. God, I just pray that we would just so seek it out of the way. God, let us see the harvest for your glory.